A reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, chapter four. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Well, let me say along with Ed, welcome. We're glad you are here today. My name is Jason. If you're new, I'm one of the uh, teaching pastors on staff here. And I want to start by uh, getting you to think about a question. When you encounter someone, in other words, when you meet them for the first time or you're first getting to know a person, um, what is it that usually gives you a good idea of the kind of person they are? In other words, what do you use to size people up? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, we're not supposed to do that, preacher. Don't, don't size people up. You know, don't judge a book by its cover. And what I would say to you is, I know, I know, you're right, but you do it. <laughs> and we all do. I do. We all size up people when we first meet them. Right or wrong, we just all do it. And the truth is, you've probably got your own personal ways of sizing people up, and so do I, just the kind of things that we do. And usually we do them without even realizing that we're doing them. We're just sizing people up. Like I bet... Some of you probably size people up by the way that they dress. You think you can tell a lot about a person by the way they dress. I once had someone tell me, they said, every time I meet a person, I always look at their shoes. And I didn't even do a follow-up question on that because I don't even know what that's about. I don't know what you can understand about a person by their shoes, but it works for them, I guess, or whatever. Or maybe... You, you judge a person by the kind of car they drive, you know, it tells you something about them, or maybe the kind of house they live in, or other hobbies, the kind of things that they are interested in, or the stuff they're into. But I'll tell you, for me these days, I, I've become more and more convinced as I mature and get older that I think what really tells you more about a person than pretty much anything else about them is what comes out of their mouth. And I think that's right in line with something that Jesus said. Jesus pretty much said that one time. He said, you can tell what's in a person's heart by listening to the words that they speak. And I, I would even go further than that. I think if you can tell what's in a person's heart by the words they speak, I think you can tell more about them by the way they speak to other people and what they say about other people. A few personal examples of this. Uh, several years I was uh, eating in a restaurant and uh, I just happened to overhear another person who was speaking to their server. And I thought to myself in the moment as I was listening to them, I thought, wow, they're being dismissive. They're being really rude. And, and I didn't know what had happened if there was anything wrong. It just sounded like they were being rude and dismissive to their server. And it made me kind of do a little introspective thinking. I thought to myself, have, have I ever been that way to someone serving me? And 
I don't want to be that kind of person. And so from that day on, I just kind of made a decision. I was like, you know what? From now on, I, every time I have a server come to the table, I'm going to look them in the eye as best as I can. I'm going to speak to them with dignity and respect. And more than anything, I'm going to thank them for every single thing they do. Every time they walk away from the table, I'm just let them know, thank you for serving me. Thanks for what you're doing. I just made that decision because I wanted, because I knew what I say communicates something to them. And it also communicates something about me. I've been in grocery stores before, and I've walked past uh, parents speaking to their children, and I have unfortunately had this thought. If this is the way you speak to your child in public, I cannot imagine what happens in your house. And I thought to myself on those occasions, I don't want to be a parent like that. I, I don't want to speak those kinds of words to my kids, but unfortunately, in true confession, I have spoken to my children in ways that I would not want you to hear. <laughs> And I would not want to be made public, but I know that says something about me and it speaks something to my kids by the way I speak to them. Uh, speaking of my girls, uh, I have two girls actually. One's in college, one's in high school, and uh, I'm in the stage of parenting where, uh, I'll put it this way, my daughters are bringing uh, around significant others at this point in their lives. You know, I know that's coming. For one, definitely, and for one, I know it's coming. But Here's my, here's my thinking on that these days. I'm paying attention to the way these boys talk. I want to know how does he speak to me? How does he speak to my daughter? How does he speak to my wife? And especially how does he speak to his mom or his dad? Because I know it tells me a lot about his character. There have been some recent studies, interestingly enough, in the world of psychology and marriage therapy, and they've been looking at couples and they've been trying to find what are the factors that can predict the, the breakdown of a relationship or predict that a, a couple is headed toward divorce. And there's been a lot of research done on this. In fact, I'm going to be teaching you uh, some of these things in a couple of weeks when Paul uh, in Ephesians starts to talk about marriage. But for now, they've determined that there's really, out of these major four factors that they've discovered, there's one that can predict divorce 90% of the time. With 90% accuracy, this researcher says, I can tell you whether or not a couple is headed for divorce. And he says, it comes down to this. They look at how they talk to each other and how they talk about each other. And you don't even have to listen to the actual words being said as much as you listen to the tone. And the research shows if they speak with, to each other with a tone of contempt, a tone of, uh, of being dismissive or disgusted or just critical of their spouse, the majority of the time that they speak, chances are, 90% accuracy, they will not make it for the long haul because research is simply telling us what Jesus already told us 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> The words you speak say something about you. It reveals what's going on in your heart. And so, as you know, if you've been around here for the past few weeks, we're studying this book in your Bible called Ephesians. Ephesians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the first century church in the city of Ephesus. And a couple of weeks ago, you heard us say that it's sort of a book or a letter that's divided into two halves. And the first half of the letter, which we finished up a couple of weeks ago, is just simply Paul takes all that time to remind us of our identity. And our identity is this. He said, you are perfectly loved children of God. You have been chosen. You've been adopted. And you are part of a new family called the body of Christ or the church. And that identity is not just for you and not just for you to hold on to. It's, it's an invitation to every single person. Everyone is invited because... 
The walls of hostility, the walls of division between people have been torn down by Jesus' death and his resurrection. And Paul would say, when we finally embrace our identity of who we are in Christ, then things will start to change. And then his second half of his letter, he talks about what that looks like. And so last week, Ed talked to, to us about how that means our thinking changes. And we not only change our thinking, but as children of God, as the body of Christ, we pay attention to our inputs because we know that affects our thinking and then eventually affects how our outputs are. And we don't do this because we're just following some new moral code that we think will make us better than other people. And we don't do it because we feel shame and guilt about it. We do it because of our identity. I know who I am now. I'm a child of God. And who I used to be is old and gone. And I'm not that way anymore. Therefore, my life has changed. So in these next few verses, Paul gets super practical. He gets super specific. And he wants to talk to us about another change that happens when we settle into our new identity. And that is, we change the way we speak. We change the words that come out of our mouths. Because Paul, he just learned it from Jesus, right? And again, Jesus was clear. Your words reveal your heart. And if you have truly been transformed on the inside and your new identity has truly taken hold, if you've become conscious of what uh, you allow to influence your life and what is discipling you, and that just means who you allow and what you allow to lead your way of thinking, then if you're conscious of that and you fully embrace that identity, your way of thinking changes. And when your way of thinking changes, it changes the way you speak. And so now Paul begins to describe to us what a life like that really looks like. In other words, he's saying this is how you'll know that the, the internal life, the internal change has taken place. Verse 25, he says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. Why? Because we're all a part of one family. We're in the same body. Now, what I find that most of us do when we read a, a phrase like that, when it says, well, don't, be, don't, don't tell lies, most of us read that and we go, ha great, I got that one covered. I am not a liar. What else you got? And what I would say to you is, not so fast, my friend. Hang on. Think about it for a second. Are we truly, are we really truth-telling people? Do we always live in the truth? Or do we live in the truth mainly when it benefits us? Think about it this way. You ever massaged the truth? You know what that means? It means I, I manipulate it to, to, for my benefit. Or, or how about this? I, 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 only, I only tell part of the truth. I withhold some of it so that I can kind of manipulate the situation to make it turn out the way I want. How about this? And this one is one that I had to... I really had to grow in for the better part of my life. I did not do this well. When you're wrong, and you are, a lot. Can we just be honest about that? When you're wrong, we all are, we're wrong a lot. But when you're wrong, can you say you're wrong without the but at the end of that sentence? Really? Because see, here's what most of us do. We, we always say, we can say we're wrong, but we got to have a qualifier. Okay, okay, I was wrong, but you know, if you hadn't have said that, I wouldn't have reacted. Or, I, yeah, I was out of line, but you just know how to push my buttons. There's always a but, right? Why is it? Think about this. What is it in you and what's inside of me that will not allow me to say, I was wrong and shut up? What is that? 
it reveals something about my heart that's going on inside of me. Or how about this? You ever exaggerate the truth because it shines a better light on you? Leave out a detail that might make you look bad? How about this? You ever said, oh, I'll be there, and you know you ain't going? <laughs> or how about this? I'll get that done. I'll do it tonight. And you know good and well you got plans for tonight. Or how about this one? I'm coming. I'm on my way. I'm on my way out the door. And you ain't even showered yet. <laughs> right? We do this. And what we think when we do these things is we think, it's not a big deal. I didn't hurt anybody. No, nobody's for the worse on that. It's just not a big deal. And what I would say to you is, it is a big deal because it is saying something about you. What is it in you? What is it in me that won't allow us just to tell the truth and just let it reveal who we are? And Paul says, we have a reason as Christ followers why we live in truth, honest, open truth. He says, because we have been brought into a greater family. I'm responsible to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are responsible to me. And when truth gets broken, truth gets ignored, when truth gets manipulated, listen, the truth don't suffer. The truth's fine with, with or without you. Truth don't need you to defend it. But what suffers is we suffer. The family suffers. Because when we break away from truth, we are breaking relationships. This is one of the first lessons I ever taught my girls. When they, could, when they were old enough to understand it, one of the first things I ever said to my girls was, listen, in this family, we have to tell each other the truth. There is no exceptions to that. And, and then I went on to explain why. We always tell the truth to each other because, see, we can't remain in relationship to each other if we don't at least have truth between one another. And so I would tell my girls, I don't care if it's the worst thing you've ever done. You tell the truth about it. And if you do, I promise you will be met in this family with love and compassion and grace because we can work with that. We can work on the truth. We can help heal whatever has been broken because we can work together when there's truth. But if we don't have truth, then we don't have trust. And if we don't have trust, we don't have relationship. It's based on a lie. It's based on something that we, that's not a solid foundation. And relationship is everything, right? And so speaking the truth, it's just so critical, as Paul says, to the life of the body, to the kingdom of God, the church. That we, need to, we need to spend some time living in that moment and soaking in just how important it is that we live in truth with one another. So I've asked Ed if he would just lead us in some reflection and a time of prayer about that. There's a verse of scripture in the ancient book of Proverbs that has this wisdom. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I hate that last part. These words are quite a warning if you really listen and they're really inspirational if you listen all of us know there isn't anybody in this room that doesn't have somewhere in their past there's some words that got set to you that you don't even believe are true anymore but when you under tension 
you hear these bad words somebody said and they sort of mark you and it feels like it's a part of who you are but more than just having people say those words to us everybody in this room has said those words to somebody else and you didn't mean to mark them for life but often you do the other thing, we also had people that at just the right moment, in just the right way, with just the right words, they said a word to us, and it was like a drink of water when you're really thirsty. I mean, it breathed life into you, and you, you had such inspiration that you didn't even know they felt that way about you. Words had this incredible power to kill and, and to breathe life. But speaking truth with love to people, it may be the most difficult thing we're asked to do. It feels to us often confrontational. And so for people who don't really want to do anything that's confrontational, it brings out all of our fears. And so what we wind up doing is we choose not to speak because we're afraid we'll be the one to mark them with bad words. But what we wind up doing is we often wind up holding back a drink of water from a thirsty person something they desperately, desperately need to hear. So before we move on in the service, I just want to give you a moment to ask God right now to reveal any truths that you should be speaking to those in your life. Maybe for some of you it's kids, or maybe it's a parent, or maybe it's, it's a spouse, a partner, and there are places that by your simple silence, you are a liar. There's truth that you know you should say, and you don't say it. There's things that should be shared that you don't share, and we need the truth. So let's take a moment now and bow your heads, and let's ask God to speak truth to us about truth we should be giving to others. Truth can bring life, but truth spoken in anger, carelessly, can damage. Truth spoken that way is like taking a blunt object and beating somebody over the head with it. So one more time, I want to ask you to take a moment and ask God to show you the ways that you've harmed people by the blunt object of your words, carelessly used. If you already know who it is, Maybe you need to use this time to ask God to give you the courage to go to that person and ask them to forgive you. Let's talk to God right now.
Heavenly Father, you've given us your spirit, which is the spirit of truth to live in us, to guide us. And we know that you want to direct us to truth, truth about ourselves, truth about our relationships. Would you transform us into the kind of people that always speak the truth in love? Teach us to use our words in life-giving ways, even when it's challenging for us to say them. And when we damage others, help us to ask for forgiveness and make it right so that we may honor you and we might be representatives of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. So Paul, in this letter, he, he talks to us before he even gets to the section where he talks about living in truth. Back in verse 15, he actually talks about what we just meditated on here together. He says, we should speak the truth, of course. We should live in the truth with one another. But there is a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it. And the way that we live in truth and the way that we speak in truth is always truth and love. And the thing I think we need to be challenged on when it comes to that as Christians is I see and hear a lot of us today, a lot of followers of Jesus, we, we talk a lot about speaking truth. And we're real proud of the fact that we have the truth and that we're, we feel that we're right about certain things in our world. But sometimes our pride of being right often leads us to not be very loving in the way that we speak our truth. Speaking truth in love means not so much about what we say, but the motivation behind which we say it, the reason we are saying it. See, a follower of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus, we never speak the truth in order to just be right. That's not our motivation. So your reason to speak truth is never to just be right. Your reason to speak truth should always be to be loving and compassionate to the one you are speaking it. And here's what that looks like. If you've got something to say, you got some truth. I don't care how much truth you got. I don't know how right you are or how, how, how good it is. If you do not say it without at first considering, is this loving and compassionate, you should not say it at all. Speaking the truth in love, it should include what we just did here together. It should, it, it should first of all, it should all, it should always be difficult for you. It should always require a little bit of time and a little bit of reflection. It should not just flow out of you without thought, without reflection. If it does, if you're one of these people that's just, truth's just flowing, I'm just speaking, I'm just speaking truth, you're probably not doing it right. You're certainly not doing it in love. To speak truth in love always requires time. It always requires reflection. It needs thought. It needs intention. It needs you to put yourself in the place of the one you're speaking to, to be empathetic to what they're feeling and what they're hearing when you speak your truth. You ever heard somebody use this phrase? Well, I'm just going to drop some truth on him. I'm just going to drop some truth on her. You don't drop truth if you're a follower of Jesus because you drop things like weapons. When you drop something on someone, you intend to harm them or you intend to shock them. Our intention is not to harm or to shock. Our intention is to love and to be compassionate. So pro tip on this one. Tone is everything. How you speak is everything. You realize I can say a phrase to you and just change the way I say it and it changes everything about what I say. 
just by changing the tone. I'll give you an example. You need help. What do you want me to do? That's one way of saying that. Or I can say it this way. You need help. What do you want me to do? Same words. Completely different truth. It's all about the tone. Years ago, I just made it my personal rule. This is not a God said, so you don't have to do this. This is just me. Whenever I enter into an emotionally charged conversation, specifically if it is starting to get heated and angry, I make sure that that conversation is had face-to-face or voice-to-voice. I do not do emotional, certainly not angry conversations over text or email. The majority of the problems that relationships who come into my office for counseling, a lot of the problems come because they're texting each other and they're not talking to each other. Now, why is that? Because you can't express love well at all over text or email. You can't express love when you can look at a person. You can see their body language. You can hear their inflection in their voice. You can feel the intention of what they're saying. You can look in their face. So the big overarching point Paul wants us to see in this, in this command that he gives us, speak the truth in love. He's saying, look, when it comes to how we as Jesus followers speak, truth is very important. And don't hear me say that truth is not important. I never said that. Truth is very important. But I'll tell you what's more important. Love is more important. So if you can't say anything without love, then you should not bother speaking truth to anyone. Then Paul says something that might seem like he's changing the subject, but he's not. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Words and anger almost always go together. Some translations say it this way, in your anger, don't sin which is a good reminder that the emotion of anger that we all feel is not sinful in and of itself. Just because you're angry doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong, but there can be something wrong in the way that you react to your anger. Think of it like this. Anger is your body's way of signaling to you that something is wrong and that something needs to be done. And in those moments, you have a choice. You can either react out of anger or you can respond to what that anger is telling you. The problem is that most of us react when we get angry. Maybe you yell or maybe like me, you withdraw. Maybe you throw something or you hit something and none of those reactions are loving or healthy, not for you or anyone else. But instead of reacting, you can respond to what the anger is alerting you to. Now, this requires time. It requires you to think. And you have to ask yourself, why am I angry? Are there good reasons for me to be angry? Am I being too self-focused or sensitive? Has something been done to me or someone that I love? And what would be a loving and productive response to this situation? What's interesting here is that Paul is actually quoting from another verse of the Bible in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament which says this, be angry and do not sin. Ponder your own hearts on your bed and be silent. If you wanna keep yourself from sinning when you're angry, if you want to respond instead of react, then basically you need a nap. Did you have a nap today? I did! 
Now, the writer's not speaking literally here. So what is he saying? He's saying you need to change your posture. You need to take some time. Like when you're lying in your bed at night, staring at the ceiling, when it's completely silent and no one's there except for you and your thoughts. Think about your anger. Ask yourself some of those questions you've been avoiding. Find out where this is coming from and if there is a need for you to respond and if there is a way for you to do it with truth and with love, then make a plan to respond. But if not, you need to leave that anger right there in the bed when you get up. Anger is not something that you can play around with and be careless with. It's like a toxic chemical that has to be stored and used properly. Think about this. You know how we often use physical pain to describe emotional pain? Like you say someone broke your heart or you've been punched in the gut. Those are physical images that describe an emotional thing. Matthew Lieberman is a neuroscientist and he did a study to look at how our brains react when we experience physical pain and compare it to emotional pain. Here's what he concluded. He said, looking at the brain scans side by side without knowing which was which, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. In other words, your brain reacts to a broken arm the same way that it does a broken heart. Imagine if every hurtful word that you've ever said out of anger to your child or your spouse or your parent or a friend would suddenly appear on their body as a cut or a bruise or a broken bone. It would be shocking, right? But science tells us that our brain feels both wounds the same. So if our angry words contain that much destructive power, why do we think that we can treat them the way that we do often? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And then we just move on. Shouldn't we be giving as much time and care and attention to the emotional wounds as we do the physical? I think this is why Paul brings this topic of anger up and equates it with the words that we speak. They so often go together and they can be so harmful and destructive. And they are simply out of step with the way of Jesus, the way of love. That's why he says when you speak in anger, you give the devil a foothold. What he means is that it provides a space for our enemy to do the destructive work that he so much wants to do in our lives. Anger is just an easy open door for him to walk right through if we allow him to. I want to teach you something about your anger. Something that we often don't spend enough time really bearing down on and thinking about. Anger is what we call a secondary emotion. What do I mean by that? Anger may be what you're feeling in a particular moment. In fact, it might even be the only word that you have to describe what you're feeling when somebody says, what do you feel right now? And you just, I'm angry, right? That's the only word you've got. But anger is not the primary thing that you are feeling. It is the secondary emotion that comes after the first feeling. The anger was caused by something else. And what therapists now tell us is you can basically boil anger down to three sources. It's either one of these three things. When you're angry, you're either hurt, you're afraid, or you're frustrated. Hurt, fear, frustration. And 
I encourage people all the time who, who come into my office and, and we begin to talk and, and work through their whatever it is they're angry about. I say, let's get to the underlying emotion. Are you hurt? Are you fearful? Are you frustrated? And this is so especially true and especially needed for us guys. Guys, we grew up in a culture, in a world that told men that anger is about the only appropriate uh, emotion we get to feel. It's the only thing that, that is just common and normal for us guys to feel. And it's the only one that we wind up admitting to ourselves. But we've got to go deeper than that. It is so helpful to go down to the root of what is it that has led me to this anger because that's where your response is found. That's where you can express love. See, it really is okay for you to say, hey, I'm angry, but here's the reason. I, I, I feel hurt because of what you said. You hurt me with your words. It's okay to say, the, the, I'm, really, I'm really angry right now, but, but when I get down to it, I'm just afraid if something doesn't change, I'm going to lose it all. That's okay. It's okay to say, I'm angry, but it's because I'm, so just, I'm just frustrated because I feel inadequate most of the time and I can't make things happen the way that I want them to. See, I know you're angry, but you're not just angry. You're hurting, you're scared, you're frustrated. But see, here's the good news. You and the Holy Spirit that lives within you and the family of God that exists all around you, we can deal with hurt, fear, and frustration. We got medicine for that. We can deal with hurt, fear, and frustration. But you've got to be honest with yourself about it first. You've got to be honest with God. You've got to be honest with other people. So Paul finishes up his talk about anger. And then in verse 29, he says this. He says, so let's don't use foul or abusive language. A lot of people think that's just talking about cussing. It's not. And a lot of translations will say it this way. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That Greek word right there that they're trying to translate, unwholesome, foul, abusive, is a word that is borrowed uh, from their culture that they would have used to describe a rotten piece of fruit. You ever, you ever opened up your refrigerator and there was some spoiled food in it, but you didn't see it and you didn't know where it came from? You just opened up the door. What did you experience? Poo! Right? Wow, I don't know what's in here, but it's bad. Now, how many of you would have that experience? The, hit, the, the, the stench hits you and you just go, wow, that smells really bad. But look at all this really good food that's in this refrigerator. I think I'll just leave it right there. No, you don't do that. What do you do? You leave that thing open. You search. You dig. You go as far as you can down in the depths of that refrigerator. You find that piece of rotten fruit and you root that thing out and you get rid of it. You don't just ignore it, right? You do, you do an immediate search so that you can get that stinking fruit and clean it out. So listen, church, children of God, we, we, don't, we are led by Jesus. We are led by love. And we understand what we just heard in that video. Our words, when they are stinking, when they are unwholesome, when they are, when they are abusive, when they are foul, they have weight. They affect everything around us. We recognize as God's kids that just one word spoken in anger, one sentence that wounds another person who's been made in the image of God, that is way too much. That needs to be rooted out. We can't ignore that. That's why children of God think before we speak. That's why the writer of the book of James, James the brother of Jesus, he said it this way. He said, followers of Jesus, we are quick to listen and we are slow to speak and therefore we are slow to get angry. I think that's a progression. Let me, let me ask it to you this way. Do you know a person in your life who is, uh, tends to be angry and, and say angry, hurtful words most of the time? 
They just walk around with that just angry words coming out of their mouth. If you can't think of somebody, unfortunately, it's probably you. So be careful. But do you know a person like that? It just seems to have angry words coming out of them all the time. Let me ask you this question about them. Are they someone who you would say is also slow to speak? Probably not. Because the two don't go together. Do they spend a lot of time pondering what they say and then the anger spews out? No. It's usually just fast. Don't let unwholesome, rotten fruit come out of your mouth. And then Paul gives us an alternative, which is interesting. Every time Paul gives us a direction of what we shouldn't do, he always gives us the antidote. He says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Again, this Greek word, good, helpful, encouragement. It's borrowing an image from the world of construction. This is the word that they would use when they would build a house. What Paul is saying here is that our words should be so carefully chosen to be words that develop, build up, construct another person's life with love and encouragement. In other words, every time you speak a word, you should be putting another brick or another block in someone's house, of someone's life, so that they can live in a place that is filled with love and peace and safety. So when you speak your words, are you building their house, or did you just take a sledgehammer to the wall? You're doing one or the other. When you encounter a person, do you ask this question, what do they need right now? What's a word that I could speak that would just build them up, build their house a little bit stronger today. What do they need to hear from me today? Is there anything that I can say that might meet whatever need they have in this moment? And then Paul ends his section. He kind of wraps it all together in a bow, verse 31. He says, so get rid of all bitterness, all rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, again, notice he's going to give us a, a solution. This is the antidote to all of that. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ forgave you. Church, you will never change the way you speak to other people. You will never respond to the root of your anger instead of reacting out of anger. You'll never purge your mouth of that rotten fruit, and you will never speak life-giving, life-building words to the people around you until until you have fully understood, you have fully embraced the love of God shown to you in Christ Jesus who died the death on the cross, who bore the weight of all your sins, including every angry, hurtful, unwholesome word that's ever come out of your mouth and ever will. You cannot show kindness unless and until you have received that kindness. You can't be tenderhearted with other people until you know the heart of God and you feel it for you. And you cannot forgive a person until you know what it feels like to be forgiven. See, it goes back to everything we have said in this series up to this point. Remember what we've been saying all along for weeks? You can't live this way until you know who you are. And who you are? Who you are has been defined by God, and He revealed it all on a bloodstained cross. And so we're going to go to the cross now. And we're going to remember who we are as we gaze upon our Savior, Jesus. And we're going to sit around his table and remember the cross. Ed's going to lead us.